Hey there, dog people of the internet. It's Sarah Streming, the Cog Dog Coach, and this is Cog Dog Radio. Join me as I cover behavior concepts, discuss training ideas, interview experts, and explore my cases, all regarding the dogs we live and play with. Let's go. Hey friends, today on the podcast, I've got Alexis Devine, newly minted, certified professional dog trainer knowledge assessed. You might know Alexis from her various social media accounts, which are all under What About Bunny, in which she has chronicled her dog Bunny learning how to talk through the use of buttons. And if you're skeptical about this stuff, I really urge you to listen. My goal is not to ease your skepticism, but rather to show you a new lens through which to view language, connection, and communication. I really enjoyed talking to Alexis, both on this podcast and in person, and we decided to record to promote her new book, I Am Bunny, How a Talking Dog Taught Me Everything I Need to Know About Being Human. The book is authentic, it's vulnerable, it's interesting, and it's funny. And Alexis is also all of those things. Enjoy. Welcome to the podcast. Will you share your name and pronouns with the listeners? I am Alexis Devine, she, her. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to finally have this conversation. I feel like I met you in person like a year-ish ago, and Mm -hmm. we've kind of chatted about doing this ever since, but this is the perfect time with the book launch. So absolutely, when I met you... I told you, I was like, listen, straight up, I am a skeptic about this thing, the the buttons thing. And you did not miss a beat and said, oh, same. I'm a skeptic too. (laughs) A hundred percent. Yeah. And for the listeners, I, I love to always give everybody definitions. So a skeptic is defined as a person who's inclined to question or doubt something, the thing. So... You, do you still consider yourself a skeptic? I am inclined to question and doubt literally everything. Uh, so yes, I do. I think that if we let go of the doubt, we lose the opportunity to learn. So mm-hmm. I consider myself a skeptic uh, when it comes to the buttons. I consider myself a skeptic when it comes to what I know. Uh, I consider myself a skeptic in almost all areas. Uh, that doesn't mean that I haven't experienced some really powerful moments uh, between Bunny and myself with the buttons mm-hmm. that I feel are very compelling and mm-hmm. uh feel contextually very appropriate, but um, I just don't know enough to know exactly what's going on. So my philosophy has always been to stay curious. I love that. And I also, when I'm being my best self, I hold curiosity as like a core value. And when I fail to be curious about something, I know that it's probably something I need to be the most curious about. Like I'm probably, um, I'm probably afraid of something or fighting something if I'm kind of failing to find that. And when I read this book, I hear you being a person who's extremely aware of so all the questions and like how much you do not know. But for some reason, it's really hard for people to be curious about this. Like I've just 
been an observer of what you've put out in regards to the buttons and bunny. And I see people like primarily dog professionals like myself kind of responding with complete certainty in regards to what bunny is doing. And that's really interesting to me <laughs> when um, <laughs> folks are folks are usually, you know, they're doing it because they're like, oh, no, 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 this is not science. But science is questioning your answers. Like science is being curious. So can you talk about your experience being a social media presence and receiving just a lot of folks who are very sure that you are just plain wrong about what's going on here? Yeah, it's been a really interesting experience. I had never had this level of internet virality before. And I'm a pretty introverted person, uh, tend to be a homebody. So in my daily life, I don't really encounter too many assholes, you know? And then a post goes viral and all of a sudden, uh, my comments are inundated by people who are being very unkind. So it's kind of a wild experience. And there are a lot of people that are just sort of jumping on a bandwagon and being unkind because other people are being unkind. But when it comes from the professionals, that to me as you said, is really surprising because in science, uh, the goal is to approach things from a place of neutrality, right? And I feel like so many people are approaching this angrily almost. And from my perspective, it seems to be more so uh, the trainers that use quite a bit of punishment that have approached Mm -hmm. it very angrily, that are stitching my videos. But there are plenty of very well-known science professionals, uh, Mm -hmm. in addition to training professionals that just don't want to give it a chance. And I don't really know what that is about other than sort of, as you were just saying, I think when somebody can't approach something with curiosity or when they have the desire to really push back, it's because uh, they feel threatened in some way, whether that's based on their learning history or, uh, maybe it, it, it threatens the way that they have to work with their dog or learn from their dog going forward. Mm -hmm. I think they feel threatened in some way or it just challenges everything they've ever known. Yeah. And I can relate to this in the sense that I also am introverted and don't really surround myself with assholes either. (laughs) And don't, I actually almost to a fault surround myself with people who think I'm great and tell me that I'm great. And so (laughs) why would you not? (laughs) And I try not to, I try not to think of that as a bad thing. I think I was kind of raised to think of that as a bad thing, but I, I've decided to push back on that and I've decided it's actually a good thing. And so then when people are straight up mean on the internet about something that I said, it's, it can be very alarming Because I don't really think there's any reason for this. Like, even if you think that every single video that you've put on the internet about Bunny is fake, I still don't really understand being mean about it. Like, even if you think it's fake, then there's a lot of stuff on the internet that's fake that I just ignore. (laughs) I mean, it's it's really easy to do. It's really easy to do. But speaking of science... And curiosity, because they really, you know, science is about curiosity and having a science mindset is about being open to being wrong. And Bunny has sparked some interesting research or your videos of Bunny and yeah, putting stuff about Bunny. So tell us, 
What can you tell us about that? Yeah, so it's not just my videos of Bunny. There are thousands of people that are now using buttons with their companion animals. And because that happened so quickly, Federico Rosano, who's the head of the Comparative Cognition Lab at UCSD, uh, said, well, we should study this. So it is currently the largest citizen science canine cognition study ever attempted. There are a couple of papers under review. Um, I think there are over a thousand active participants and close to 10,000 enrolled participants currently, and the numbers just keep going up. So there are a lot of a lot of humans having great success with their animal companions, and a lot of interesting things are happening that we didn't suspect that are happening sort of across the board. I think that that is, first of all, that's very cool that it's such a huge citizen science effort. And I think that the more we know about animals, the more we find out that, like, just the more we dig in, the more we see that we should not assume anything about their experience. Like, you know, rewind all the way back to animals don't have any feelings. Animals don't feel pain. Animals don't feel fear. Like rewind there. Well, okay. Disproven, disproven, like all of these things disproven. Animals don't use tools. Well, disproven in a few species. Animals, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, animals don't feel jealousy. Disproven in a few species. Like it's just like anytime anybody makes this like big claim of like animals don't it just we we just get proven wrong when the research is actually done yeah absolutely um and you know i'm sure that somebody will email me with all the examples about how we were right but (laughs) (laughs) but But even animals don't have language but yes so that's what i'm kind of getting to is right like we Saying that animals don't have like, first of all, I think I find that preposterous. Of course they do, but that that then comes down to then what is language, which I know is something right. that we don't even have a real answer for, which you talk about. In the Super book. contentious, right? Yeah. So t- talk about language for just a second, or more. Well, definitely more than just a second, but <laughs> talk about language. So language is a system, and to be completely a hundred percent transparent. It has never been an interesting question to me whether or not Mm. this is language. We do know that some animals have language. Prairie dogs, for example. Honey, honey catcher bees, honey maker bees, something like that. There are, there Mm. are examples of language in various species. And there are a number of very awkward and odd attempts to prove that primates have language. There have been a number of awkward and failed tests that have tried and studies that have tried to prove that primates have language uh, with mixed results. Um, And I think that's created a lot of the sort of animosity directed at what we're doing now. A lot of people are saying, no, it's already been proven that animals don't have language. And first, I need to say that that's never been an interesting question to me. Whether or not Mm. dogs have language doesn't matter. It's very clearly communication. And that has been what yeah. I've been searching for all along, right? Like, even if, even if, for example, Bunny, now I'm going to use Otter as an example. What Otter does, how he uses the buttons, only for evil. Bunny will have a bone or a toy. He'll walk over to the board. He'll press outside, look at me, run to the door. Uh, I'll be like, oh, okay, yes, let's go outside. Bunny will also run to the door. And then as soon as Bunny gets to the door, he runs and he steals 
her bone or her toy, right? So communication, he's not communicating, I want to go outside, right? He is using the word in a different way. It's still communication, whether or not that's language, I don't really care. His point gets across and it's very intelligent the way he's using that button. So language is regimented. It has a strict sort of code of contact. Contact? Mm-hmm. No. It has a strict code of conduct. But also, as as I'm sure we will talk about, there are language games that completely stray mm-hmm. from what that code of conduct is. Let's jump there. I think this language games thing is one of the most compelling things about the way the bunny uses the buttons. And it was one of the researchers that actually said to you, like, that's what this is. Am I wrong yes. about that? Yeah. No, so Federico. Talk about Go ahead. That. Sorry. What, what is it? No, that's okay. What is a language game? What are some of the language games that we feel like Bunny is playing? How was that conversation with Federico? Talk about it. Yeah, so there are a couple of, well, there are many different types of language games. The one that I want to talk about first uh, is a philosophical concept that was developed by Ludwig Wittgenstein in, I think, like the 1950s. And basically, it states that words only have meaning if you know the rules of the game. So in other words, context is everything, right? An example would be the word water. Used in one context by bunny, it could be a request for water, right? And used in another context, she might be letting me know that she hears the dishwasher, for example. Uh, Mm. And the context is what's going to determine how I'll respond. Does she walk to the water bowl or does she look to the dishwasher back to me a bunch of times, right? So there are other language games as well that aren't associated with Wittgenstein, like gibberish and spoonerisms. A super silly example of this would be uh, this game that I used to play with my dad. He made up a language called Ibe, and we got so fluent at it and so fast at it that my mom wouldn't be able to understand us when we were using it. Uh, We knew the rules, right? And she didn't, or at least she just couldn't keep up with them. And of course, there are like inside jokes that people have, like between friends, those are also language games, like a word or a look that will convey something that without that context, nobody else would understand. So with dogs, not just bunny, something similar seems to be happening where they will coin phrases like children do. So I have some examples. Who do you think coined this phrase? Uh, Baby or bunny? Bird leaf for feather. I mean, that is incredible. I'm going to say if Bunny coined that phrase, that is wild to me. That was a baby. That was okay. a baby. But let that me was say a baby. something though, Alexis. It's also wild that it was a baby. Like, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Bird leaf. First of all, never going to unlearn that word. Um <laughs> I have some really some more fun examples for you. Okay, amazing. Yeah, yeah. Okay, what about uh, skyboat for airplane? (laughs) That's amazing too. (laughs) I'm gonna say uh, maybe that was bunny. That was a human adult that forgot the word for airplane. Oh my god! (laughs) (laughs) I'm gonna keep just saying bunny, but I want it like this is so that forgot the word for (laughs) airplane. I could see yes. this. This is me and my friend. We're walking our dogs and I and I go, what? Yep. Uh, uh, Skyboat. <laughs> yep. This is me too all day, every day. 
Okay, I've got a few more. What about a squeaker car for ambulance? Squeaker car. I feel like that could be that could be anything. I'm going to keep saying bunny. That could be bunny. <laughs> so that was actually uh, a different another dog uh, participating in this study named Sasha. Um, but there have actually been two dogs participating in this study that have used that same combination to refer no to way. an ambulance. Both used Squeak. squeaker car. Squeaker car. Squeaker car. Isn't that crazy? That's wild. Okay. What about food computer for microwave? <laughs> I, that has to be just a person who also forgot words. An adult yes. person who also forgot <laughs> yes. words. Yeah, that sounds yes. like an adult person who forgot words. And then last but not least on my short list here, what about play poop for fart? Okay, I know that was bunny because I read the book. Yes. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Which, so I feel the like... level to which bunny talks about bodily functions, like a dog would talk about bodily functions as much as bunny does. Oh, yeah. It's wild to me. And she's would. not the only one. Yeah. The, yeah. the, the other dog that I just mentioned, Parker also constantly talking They're about fascinated. Poop. Of course they do. Yeah. Yes. Of course they do. Just like babies are right. Yeah. So yeah, there are so many crossovers that the researchers have seen between the way babies learn language and babble and play with words and the way that some of these non-humans are as well. Again, is it language? Who knows? And I don't really care. It's fascinating. It's 100% undoubtedly communication. And the more intentionally we listen to this babbling, the better we get to know our companion animals, regardless of what they're communicating, right? Because it builds this sort of active listening partnership that allows us to better understand them without the buttons. For one thing, communication. I think anybody who lives with a dog who claims that they don't communicate with us or make attempts to communicate with us all day long, I don't know where they are. Like, I don't know. It's bananas. How are you living with the dog? Like, of course they are. And in fact, they do clever, interesting things, too, to try to communicate with us if you're paying attention to them. Exactly. And the more you pay attention to them, I think the more they do it. Like, I think my dogs say stuff to me all the time because I listen to them. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned in the book this idea of being understood as being a primary reinforcer and you feel as though... That's the reinforcer at play when Bunny is using the buttons. And when I talk about the four steps to behavioral wellness, communication is one of them for a reason. Because I do believe that to be, to understand and to be understood is a basic need of, of a social species, which they are. And so I can fully get behind this. I hear the voice of my more skeptical colleagues about what you're doing in the back of my head, but I can fully get behind a dog doing things simply to be understood because I do see anything that lives within a social dynamic as seeking understanding and as seeking to, when you're seeking understanding, you're also like the the flip side of that coin is seeking to be understood. Like one doesn't exist 
without the other one, which like, that's just a hint. That might be, that may have cost me a lot of money in therapy to learn, but um, (laughs) they they both (laughs) have to be there. So talk about, talk about reinforcement in general and kind of what you believe is driving this behavior and maybe speak a little bit to the skepticism of like, but then you do a thing or then you pay attention to her or whatever. You've heard it all. I don't need to repeat it all for you. <laughs> that, that That is sad. Yeah. So just go off, go off on the reinforcement a little bit. I mean, I think, I think the reinforcement is not a hundred percent of the time being understood. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it is attention. Sometimes it is play, yeah. you know, yeah. um, if she's requesting play, but I think when this really occurred to me, was when I started noticing that she had very severe anxiety and she would bark Mm -hmm. at the smallest sound outside. And I was very early in my journey on learning about behavior and training and how dogs function. And so she would bark really loudly, really aggressively for a long period of time. And I would just be like, bunny, stop it. Stop it. You're fine. Right. Not, not knowing in my head, well, there is something that she is very, very anxious about here. You know, I just didn't look behind the scenes at all. Mm -hmm. And then I started labeling things. I started Mm -hmm. saying, oh, do you hear a sound? Oh, do you see a bird? And then I would give her a button for that thing. And when we were outside uh, and just walking through the world, I would label those things as well. Oh, it's a bird. Did you hear the bird sound? Oh, it's a deer. Did you see the deer? Oh, it's a stranger human. Oh, it's a friend human. And when we would be at home and she would be reacting to some stimulus outside, I would label it. And as soon as I could label it and it seemed that she would understand that label, she would stop barking. And to me, that feels like a pretty clear indication that she may be able to understand that I am empathizing with what she is seeing and it helps walk her off the ledge. That was to me when I first started thinking, oh, this desire to be understood may be reinforcing to her. And I've seen that a lot, uh, being able to communicate with her about the things that are creating this anxiety, uh, including now medicine because she's chronically ill, have really Mm -hmm. helped to ease the anxiety. Her being able to express that to me as well and to be clearly understood. There's probably not a lot of ways that she could walk up to me and request medicine, right? Without a a medicine button. So I think that having this alternative method of communication has helped her to feel safer in her environment and to know that I am right there with her, seeing the same things, hearing the same sounds, we're on the same page and we can be calm together. Uh, In terms of the skepticism, it's everywhere. Uh, you know, people are going to say, uh, she just does it for a treat. She just does it for attention. I've never used treats with the buttons. I've never used food rewards with the buttons. She has no food related buttons on her board. So mm. that's never been a thing. And food for a very long time was quite aversive to her because she's got terrible gastrointestinal mm. issues. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I'm not sure what else I have to say about that. Well, okay. So, I thought I am having a thought process that I want you to comment on. So talking about her, she sounds like one of the many dogs that I've worked with who has chronic health concerns and chronic anxiety, which like, Mm -hmm. I mean, 
raise your hand. If, chicken or the uh, egg. So uh, if it's also you and then also, yeah, it's totally chicken. or Yeah, exactly. We're both raising our hand. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> it is chicken or the egg. It is. I don't think it's one, then the other. I think it's both. And, and I mm-hmm. certainly find that offering these dogs ways to communicate and be communicated with is one of the ways that I help them. But I'm rewinding to when you and I hung out at a dog show all day once and I at you had your other you had your poodle otter there. Mm-hmm. And I, I asked you about otter and like his use of the buttons. Mm-hmm. And conversely, correct me if I'm wrong, but otter is like a really stable temperament, healthy guy. This is and true. He doesn't really use the buttons like Bunny does. A hundred percent. Uh, I get asked that question a lot, like, can any dog do this? And what are the types of dogs that are going to do best with buttons? And from my experience, the learners that are saying the most interesting and compelling things are the learners that are really sick, that are really Mm -hmm. sick, that are really stressed, that are really struggling. And obviously that's not the case for, there are plenty of learners that are doing some incredible things that are healthy and, and well adapted. But I definitely think that uh, being those things has given Bunny more of a need to be understood, you know, because she's always feeling not great. It's like, somebody help me. How can I, how can I feel better? So she'll do whatever she can within her power to make that happen. Whereas Otter is just like this happy go lucky party guy who's just like, whatever, I'm going to just trick bunny into giving me her bone or whatever. I also (laughs) didn't, I, I never actively taught Otter the buttons. I wanted to see how much he would learn just, uh, by watching bunny. And he did use them a little bit more at first. And then I think he was just like, you know, whatever, let's go outside, let's go for a run, let's play, let's nap. And he doesn't have the same need that Bunny does to be very clearly understood. I think that's fascinating. And I think that so many of the dogs that I work with are sick in some way. Like if they're quite behaviorally challenged, they're really, really frequently also sick. And so this none of this surprises me. It's It feels like actually it feels even more validating to hear that this dog that is really fine in his life and you (laughs) you didn't you didn't actively try to teach it to him but he also like didn't need to seek it out and so he kind of he doesn't do it he does it a little bit to like meet um his own goals sometimes because he seems to kind of get it but And that's more what folks are talking about, I think, who are criticizing. They're like, well, yeah, my dogs can go bark at the front door and get the dog to leave their bone, too. Because that happens in a lot of households. And this dog just learned to hit the button. And that's somehow, like, cheaper to them, like, not as interesting to them as, like, maybe these word games, like, language games and things like that. But for me, I just feel as though if both things are happening, then you know, both things are clearly in front of you. I I really struggle with the fighting with actual 
evidence and deciding that <laughs> just kind of deciding that you're making things up um, because I do think some people think that you are. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of people think that let's be honest. Yeah. I let's and truly I think too, like there are a lot of really funny videos on TikTok of dogs that have no idea what they're doing with the buttons, but the buttons are oh, like, yeah. the buttons swear are words. like, yeah, swear words. And it's like, it's like mom saying something mean to dad, like via the dog hitting the button and like what, I, and like, it's hilarious. And it's not what you're talking about at all. <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah. So I know, since I see a lot of the criticism that you receive, I know that this, I will probably receive some for talking to you. And that's- I'm sorry. Just to be clear, that's fine. It'll be nothing like what I what happened a couple of weeks ago. So it's totally fine. Um, but I want to pull a quote from the book. Uh, you said, even the most beautiful examples of sentience and communicative intent are ripped to scientific shreds, which I suppose I understand in the name of science, but it still feels like somehow we are missing the bigger picture. And it's that bigger picture like I deeply know things about my life with dogs that science doesn't have an explanation for. Yes. That I appreciate about you and your shared life with Bunny. So what, what is the bigger picture? What's the bigger picture you're talking about there? I mean, the bigger picture is just connection, right? I think the bigger picture, sort of the through line of my book is empathy. Like we're not going to get to a deeper, deeper level of connection until we can empathize with those in our lives, whether they are human or non-human. And that was my goal. My goal was to have a very deep connection vis-a-vis uh, as many roads to communication as possible. And that's been my motivation. And that's what I've tried to explore. And I think giving her the buttons was a useful conduit for her as an anxious and chronically ill dog. And Mm -hmm. it has allowed me to sort of go on this learning journey. Uh, Because she went viral, I've had access to a lot of behavior professionals that I wouldn't otherwise have had. And I've been able, like yourself, and I've been able to learn a tremendous amount in a short period of time. And that in turn has increased my empathy towards her behaviorally. It has increased my knowledge, which has increased our connection. So the bigger picture for me has always been deep connection And the buttons have enabled that in a way that I'm not sure I would have found in another way. And not just because the buttons have words on them, but because sharing the process has enabled me to connect with people and to learn as much as I have. Does that make sense? It does make sense. And I hope that anybody who kind of went into this with skepticism, whether please still have your skepticism intact. That's not what I'm trying to dismantle at all. I'm a skeptic, so are you. But I hope that people can hear that that bigger picture because I think that my listeners sometimes are connecting with their dogs on a deeper level through other kind of contrived means because I've heard, you know, some folks being like, you know, 
you make her push buttons so that you don't have to understand her actual dog language, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah, like th- those kinds mm-hmm. of things. But I would just like to say, like, if you compete in dog agility, that's a contrived human created scenario that's not natural for dogs. And that if it deepens your connection with that dog and you both have a an enhanced shared time on earth because of it, like, what is the problem? <laughs> Yeah. And you know, I did, I did struggle with that at first. I was like, this is remarkably anthropocentric, Mm -hmm. uh, giving my dog English words to speak my language, but it opened up so many doors, you know, it, uh, Mm -hmm. really gave me the means to learn as much as I possibly could about her. And she never has to use the buttons. If she doesn't want to, she doesn't. Um, I don't ask her to regularly yeah. unless she's said ouch. And then I'm like, please tell me more for the love yeah. of God. Tell me where yeah. you're hurting, which I just made a post about today. Actually, it's very confounding. It was like a game of charades. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, if I told you ouch and you were like push buttons to I was like, I would never be able to explain it. <laughs> totally. Having, like a chronic pain moment. And yes. Like when it's like when the doctor is like rate your pain from one to 10. And I'm like, well, are we talking about my scale? Or are we talking about a normal person's scale? <laughs> right, like, exactly. No boil it down. Exactly. Like there's no, there's just no words, you know, mm, and your words yeah. are going to have a different meaning than my words anyways, right? Yep. So uh, it's, I forget even where we were going with that, what, what the question was or what I was talking about. I think we were just talking about the fact that, oh, you, you were saying that you don't ask her to use the buttons and that... You know, oh, yeah. These, oh, yeah. Moments, the struggle. Yes. Mm-hmm. The struggle at first was like, this is super anthropocentric and I need yeah. to be doing everything I can to make sure that I'm meeting her doggy needs in every way possible and understanding her doggy language in every way possible in order for this to be ethical. And so I did. And I am and I have. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a very balanced relationship. You know, in that way, I never force her to use them. She uses them when she wants to. And you know, what it has taught me is an incredible amount of empathy and very skilled active listening. You know, I am constantly watching and looking at the tiniest signals to inform perhaps what button I should add next or to inform whether or not I need to take her to the vet immediately or whether we can wait a few days or whether or not she actually wants to go on this walk or maybe she's not feeling well and wants to stay home, whether she's using the buttons or not. Do you see a life with dogs without the buttons in the future for yourself? Well, I mean, if for some reason Bunny was no longer with us and Otter continued to not really need or be interested in them, mm-hmm. uh, I might put them away. Like, I feel like at this point I don't need them yeah. unless I have a dog that needs them, you know? Yeah. Unless I have a companion that needs more to feel safe in the world. Well, I think that's a great place to wrap it up. So talk about your book for a second and let people know where they can find it. Yes. I've written a book. It's called I Am Bunny, and it's available everywhere. Uh, Barnes & Noble, 
HarperCollins, Amazon, pretty much anywhere, anywhere you anywhere. enjoy purchasing books, you can find it. It is on Audible. I was able to narrate it myself. I insisted that they include bloopers. I hope they have. Oh, I'm getting um, it. That's going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. That, that was my, my first time. Way of consuming books these days. So that's great. Mine, mine too. Yeah. yeah. But the, the hard copy does have hundreds of really beautiful mm-hmm. photographs in it that sort it of does. document our relationship. And uh, yeah, I really hope everyone loves it. Uh, it took me a long time. I'm, I'm super proud of it. And Good. yeah. Good. Yes. I'm glad you are. And plug your social for a second, just in case these people are under a rock and do not actually know <laughs> um, and have not actually seen the videos. Where can they find you yes. on social? What about Bunny? Everywhere. And I highly recommend because it's sometimes really funny and sometimes really interesting. And yeah, you know, if nothing else, Bunny's a cute dog. And you can she's watch very, cute she's very cute. Cute things. She's a very cute dog. <laughs> she is. And you still need to come down and meet and her I one of these need days. To come and meet her, and when I do, I will tell you all about it, and I will post it all for you as well. Thank you so much for having this conversation with me. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a blast. Thanks for listening. I hope you'll rate, review, and subscribe wherever you heard this podcast. And don't forget to join Patreon at patreon.com slash cogdogradio. And if you're interested in more content like the stuff you heard here, I hope you'll check out my online courses, my membership, and all of my offerings at my website, sarahstremming.com. See you there.